You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. Well, you know, growing up, I, I was born in June of 69, so that tells you how far back. It's a long ways back. Um, but I grew up in the 70s with some of the greatest TV anywhere, and in the 80s with the great music anywhere. I think we can all agree that, right? Uh, but in the 70s, there was this show that was called Let's Make a Deal, and it was this bizarre, weird, crazy 70s show where you had people that dressed up in costumes. You had to get in. You, you, to get in, you had to be wearing a costume, some kind of outfit of your own making, some crazy get up, and that's how you would get picked to be up on stage, and then they would have Behind you, they would have curtain number one, curtain number two, and curtain number three, and they would come in and they would say uh, to an audience member who they'd pick out, they'd say, okay, do you want in front of you, do you want this watch or this ring? One of them is valuable and real, and one of them is fake, and you've got to choose. And they choose, and they hope they've chosen the real deal. And if they like that, they can stick with that, and they can just go home. But they've been now offered... They've been offered not just the real watch that they chose and they're so happy about. They have a chance to say, I want whatever is behind curtain number one. And nine times out of ten, it's a pretty good thing to trade up for. And so you watch them and they open this and it's a color TV and a recliner. And, you know, everybody's all jumping up and down. And the big question becomes this. What's behind curtain number two? I risk this color TV to get whatever that thing is, and it's not nine times out of ten better. It's about 50-50. And so you can see where it's going, right? You might get a chicken that can lay eggs, or you know, or you might get a new car, you know, you just don't know. And I can tell you this that in my life. I have found that the world often does that to us, to me. Which is the right choice to make where the paths come together, where we meet the fork in the road? Where do I go? What do I study? Which house do I buy? Which job do I do? All of these forks in the road, you look and you say, I don't know what's the right direction to go here. And so you do your best to Uh, navigate based on what you can see, what you can touch, what looks good to you. And sometimes you end up with the chin. Sometimes it's the color TV. But listen to this. You can know this for sure, that those who choose Jesus have chosen well every time. Every time Jesus is better. Every single time you face a fork in the road, you are betting right, you are pushing your chips to the center of the table, betting on Jesus, you are choosing right because Jesus is better than anything else behind curtain number two or three. You can have confidence in this. Jesus is better. Now, some of you would say, I know that. I've known that for a very long time. I'm saved, and because I'm saved, I have the presence of the dwelling Spirit of Christ to live in me, to dwell in me. And because of that, I know what you're saying is true. 
And then there's others who are like, I used to know that. I used to know that. I've had seasons where I saw and experienced the kindness and the goodness of God, and I felt like I was drinking a very satisfying living water. And that was a long time ago. There are others here this morning, you've never tasted that at all. You've wandered through this life having victories and defeats, but never really knowing full satisfaction, never really feeling that sense of why you were created. Well, this morning I'm going to show you a man who you're probably going to, if you were raised in church at all, you've heard of this guy, we call him the rich young ruler. And this is only a couple of weeks before Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to Jerusalem for the last time when he encounters this man. And we're in the middle of a series right now called Redeemer because we want you to see Jesus accurately. We want you to know him in truth so that you can worship him, so that you can actually have a a true view of him and yourself and worship God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that resets everything for you. It resets the priorities of your life. What matters most, what's truly important. And if you'll notice, all the way through this series, we keep finding people underestimating who he is. He's just a teacher. He's just a miracle worker. Well, I, I think that if they were capable of that, so are we. We can start to see him too small. And when he gets small in your life, you start white-knuckling everything. You start trying to control everything. Well, let's ask God for his help. Let's pray. I want you to, if you can do this, friends, <laughs> beloved church, if you can do this, lean forward in your spirit. Lean forward with open hands and say to the Father, I want to hear your voice this morning. I want to receive from you what you know I need to receive from you. Ask him. He's ready to meet with us. He's ready to speak to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we worship you. You're so much better than we know. So much more gentle and kind and good, generous and wise. Lord, we are distracted by the things behind curtain number three all the time, always wondering if there's something else out there that might, for the moment, be better. God, we confess, though we have sung these truths about you, sometimes our hearts and minds are disengaged from them. And Lord, I know that in a room of this size, with this number of people, there are some with broken hearts. They are so beat up so discouraged and afraid, so alone. Give them the grace, God, to hear your voice speaking today, calling them deeper still into you. God, I pray for those who are just kind of lukewarm and coasting along. I pray that you warm their heart again today. God, teach us, speak to us in Christ's name. Amen. So Mark chapter 10, as I just read before, let me read again. 
Uh, let, before I do that, I want to give you a roadmap. I find it always a little bit helpful to give you a sense of kind of where this sermon will fall into pieces. So in verses 17 through 20, we see the most important question that's ever been asked, ever will be asked. It happens there in verses 17 through 20. Verses 21 and 22 is a meeting at the crossroads. Proverbs chapter 8 says that wisdom lifts up her voice where the paths meet. Well, the paths meet at a fork. Wisdom lifts up her voice. Jesus meets this man at the crossroads of life. And then in verses 23 through 31, we find out not just that Jesus is better, but why Jesus is better. And so as we look at verses 17 on down through 20, listen to this. It says, he was setting out, Jesus was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up and knelt down before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Let's just stop for a moment. I want you to know that the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record this event. Matthew tells us that he was young. Luke tells us that he was a ruler. And Mark is telling us this man has run up before him. Everyone says that he's rich. All three of them say that he's rich. Mark gives us this information and a few other pieces that are unique to Mark. says that this rich man ran up and knelt down. Well, now that's not unusual in this series yet, right? Jairus comes up and kneels down. The man of the demons comes up and kneels down. So we've seen that. Don't let that trick you into thinking it's still not... Uh, remarkable when people do this, especially this guy, because he's a ruler. And just because we've seen it before doesn't mean that the people that were there that day didn't have their jaw drop open when they saw it. One, because he ran. Rich guys don't run. Rulers don't run. It's undignified for him to do what he's doing here. It's as if this rich young man has seen Jesus at a distance and thought, I have got to get to him because I have got to ask this question. And so he gathers up his robes, he tucks them in, and he takes off running, losing all dignity, showing his ankles and all that. Big deal back then, I guess. And, and he kneels down in front of Jesus all out of breath and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this guy is probably thinking of some noble task that he has to do. Maybe Jesus is going to say, well, you need to crawl on your knees up this mountain and you need to meditate, whatever. He's thinking of something that Jesus is going to do so that he can secure eternal life. And he even asks Jesus, good teacher, that also is bizarre and rare in this context. And that's why Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. What do I have to do to secure eternal life? I mean, if you had one shot, one question to ask Jesus, this is the right one, isn't it? I mean, you can be 90% on a lot of things in life and feel pretty good about your chances. Still an A, right? If you had to get good information, you know, maybe you'd say, well, I want to know, I want to be certain in life about, well, what state should I live in? What degree should I pursue? Who should I marry? 
Look, that is all right, good. It's good to turn to God and ask for these things. The ultimate question is this. How do I secure eternal life? How do I know for certain that if I die today, I will not face torment for eternity? You've got to get this question right. You can't be close enough with this one. You've got to know. And that's why this guy comes, runs up, bows down, and humbles himself and says in broad daylight in front of a watching world, not like Nicodemus at night, this guy says it right in front of the watching world, good teacher, what do I have to do so that I can have eternal life? Well, Jesus says, asking him, why do you call me good? No one was good but God. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal or bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now you can see that what he's doing here is quoting the Ten Commandments, right? The second part of the Ten Commandments, he's quoting them to him. And you can almost see a smile breaking across this young man's face. That's it? That's what I got to do? Keep the Ten Commandments? All right, then. You know, I, I share the gospel pretty much any... I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy evangelism. I enjoy debate. I enjoy discussion. I love telling the good news of Jesus Christ. I love the gospel. It's not just a message. It is a message, but it's a person. And, and so a lot of times when I share the gospel with someone, maybe it's an Uber driver or someone calling that has the wrong number, every now and then I'm like, well, since I got you on the phone, usually it's someone trying to sell me something. And, you know. But anyway, I'll just share the gospel. You would be amazed, or maybe you wouldn't be, how often someone will say to me, it, it sounds like this, you know, I'm not perfect, but no one is. But I'm a whole lot better than so-and-so, so-and-so, right? What they're saying, I've got some morality. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. Compared to Adolf Hitler, that's usually your low watermark, right? <laughs> like, come on, you're going to have to do a little better than just comparing yourself to Hitler, because on the curve, yeah. You're doing better than him and her and that. And, but here's what you're really saying is you've got a morality of your own. And in your superficial view of good and bad and who God is and, and what God requires, you've got in your mind a winning score. You've got a Ten Commandments religion. You know, the, the right question might be, well, since you're betting your entire eternal Life on the Ten Commandments, name them. Name them. Can you name them? I mean, you are embedding your internal salvation on it. Name them. Can't name them. Next question might be this. Can you find them? In 60 seconds, if your soul depended on it, could you find them? I mean, you are betting your entire eternal salvation on them, and you don't know what they are. You couldn't find them if you wanted to. Now, some of you are like, I know where they're at. Exodus chapter 20. And some of you thought, I'm going to write that down because I didn't know that. <laughs> That's what you're thinking, right? This guy's got a very superficial view 
of good and law. And that's why he answers the way he does. After hearing these things like don't murder, he's like, well, I don't need to kill anybody. Well, he needs to have been there for the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you have committed murder. If you are looking at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So this young man, with the smile breaking over his face, does not understand the true righteousness of God and the requirements of the law. And so he says, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. I've done it. I've nailed it. In his mind, he doesn't have to do anything if he's done all that. And yet, watch the question he asks. Jesus said to him, or he said to, he said to, pardon me, he said to Jesus, teacher, I've done all these from my youth. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Pardon me, I've got to back up. He says, um, I kept these from my youth. And it's evident from the other passages that he says, what do I lack? Why, why, if you've done all that, do you not have confidence? Why, if you've kept the law in your mind perfectly, why don't you have confidence that you are secure? The reason he has no confidence, the reason he has to go up, this moral, virtuous guy comes up and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life is because the law and the morality of the law will not bring you peace about eternal life. It won't get you there. You will be in the same quandary that this young man is needing to run up breathless to Jesus and find him and say, how do I get there? If all you've done is in your mind kept the law, because the law will not give you a sense of confidence in front of God. What the law will do is lead you to a broken place where you realize how desperately you need something more than the law. You need a Savior. Have you noticed when you read the New Testament that Paul and the other apostles always start their letters with grace and peace? in the Lord Jesus Christ, that it always starts with grace, then leads to peace. It doesn't say obedience and peace. It says grace and then peace. That's why this young man is lacking in confidence. And he says, I've kept them all from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I like that it only Mark tells us that. And Jesus said, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Stop right there and just consider what has happened. One, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Why? See, Jesus could look at him and understand what he was going through. Here's a young man who thought that he had done everything the law had required. required. He still had no confidence in his eternal life. And so when he comes to Jesus and looks at him and says, what is it that I got to do? Jesus, in love, speaks truth. It's absolute kindness that Jesus puts his finger on the one spot in this young man's heart 
that is the stumbling block for him. He says, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. You're going to have treasure in heaven and follow me. You know, when I, when I sometimes I'm out watering the plants, which it's coming that time again, and I'm out in the backyard and I'm watering the plants, and all of a sudden as I'm watering and I'm walking, and then the hose, suddenly the water just, there's no water pressure left. You know what you have to do in that moment is you look back and you give it a little, mm, right? You, you give it a little tug because there's obviously a kink somewhere in the hose that is keeping the water from flowing. Or, if that doesn't help you, let me see if this helps you. When you order a strawberry shake at Five Guys, you've got to tell them to blend it really well. Because we've all been in that spot where drinking the strawberry shake, you, you, no matter how hard you, you can't get anything through because what's happened? A chunk of the strawberry has stopped the flow of the shake, right? Do you know that what Jesus is saying to this guy is, there is one thing that is blocking you from a right relationship with God. You've done the law. You've done what you think you needed to do. He had a superficial view of that, but in his mind, he had done it. But he can't get the flow. He can't get the Spirit of God to give him life because there's something that has kinked and blocked his heart and mind from knowing God in his fullness and having salvation. Here it is, and Jesus says it. It's because of the position and your love of wealth in your life. So take everything you've got, stack it together here. You've got homes, and in his case, probably more than one. You've got servants, you've got food, you've got cash, you've got the ability to say yes to your wants because of your money, and it all becomes this massive stack. And that all sits right here, and he has that stuff, and he loves that stuff. And over here on this side, you've got Jesus with an outstretched hand saying, take all that sell it. And like a seed, it will go before you into heaven, and you will see a harvest of treasure when you get there, and you come and you follow me. And so on this side, we have Jesus. On this side, we've got a bunch of good stuff, stuff that really is tied to his heart. Maybe he's in the middle of a building project that takes a lot of money. Maybe he's got plans to travel, and he knows that if he does this, he can't, if he chooses Jesus, he can't have all this stuff. And so he's at a fork in the road, the ultimate fork in the road. And Jesus is standing there with outstretched hand looking at him saying, sell it all and come and follow me. Come and be a disciple. You'll have me. You'll enter into life that will last forever. And you don't see these words often, but it says he went away sorrow, sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff. He couldn't let go of it. 
And for nearly 2,000 years, he has borne the consequences of that choice that he made that day at the fork in the road. I, I can't let go of this stuff. It's mine. It gives me a sense of well-being. It gives me a sense of respect. It gives me a sense of security. It gives me a sense of pleasure. And I let go of that to choose you. I won't have all of those things. Oh, that's the lie right there. Isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13? That there is a deceitfulness in wealth. Wealth promises things that it can't give you. And so this man chooses his stuff, and he leaves Jesus standing there with outstretched hand, and he chooses it, and what? He lives, we'll say, for another 50 years. Let's say he's 20, and he lives to be 70, if due to strength, 80, okay? For almost 2,000 years, he's been in torment, and we collectively call him what? Fool. You stood at the, the fork in the road... And you chose wealth over him who is life. And we call you fool because you couldn't see that what was in front of you was way better. Or pardon me, what was in front of you with wealth and all of that was nowhere near the gift that Jesus is. To have him is to have life. To have him is to know who you are. To feel the sense that you know the truth about God, who you were created by and for, for all of eternity, entering into life. The struggle I had as I was preparing this sermon was this. I sometimes sit and daydream about what would it be like if I won the lottery. <laughs> I know it's kind of ridiculous. I'm not the only person that's done this, but like I started thinking, man, I would be good at this. I wouldn't be like super selfish. I'd like do all these noble good things with it. I'd be generous. I would. I'd certainly be generous with me. I can tell you that. And and uh, no, 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 no way would that corrupt my love for Jesus. I'd continue on with a vibrant faith, an even more alive faith. It, I would know how to do this. And sometimes I think, I know that you are better, Lord. But in this moment, in this cloudy-headed moment, I think I prefer other things to you. God, forgive me. When I look back at my life in, in, in like book form, so imagine your life as a book. And in your book are chapters. And I look back at the chapters of my life that would be called Salina, Kansas, Cleburne, Texas, Denton, Texas, Dallas, Sherman, Illinois, Plainfield. When I look at those chapters and I consider what happened in those chapters, when I consider the main players in those chapters, who was there, what they do, what did I do? God, what, what story were you telling? I look back and I see some highs and lows, and I want to tell you this. In every single low, I encountered Jesus at a deeper level than I ever thought possible. I found him sweeter 
than I had known before. And I found that Jesus is better than if I didn't have the difficulty of life. Jesus is better because Jesus is life. Jesus has created you for himself. And he is good. And we get cloudy-headed starting to think, I don't know if I could let go of this stuff, this relationship, this opportunity that may not honor God, but I've got to do it because it brings with it so many good things. And I can't afford to lose it. I can't afford to walk away from that. I know that I ought to, and I know that he wants me to, but I can't. And so we say to Jesus, I'll sing the song that Jesus is better. I'm just not able to walk in that obedience right now. Money is better. Relationships are better. Opportunities are better. And that's what this guy did. And it's always the lie of the serpent that God's holding on on you, and you can't trust him. And so this young man walks away sad because he would have had Jesus in life for eternity and treasure in heaven, but he'd have to let go for a period of time things that he treasured more. All of us have it. All of us have something where we look up and go, ah, this has become primary in my life, and it keeps me from turning to the Lord. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, now this is critical, this is where you and I enter into the story. It will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? (laughs) You feel that tension? You feel that? That sense of, okay, the disciples were watching this whole interaction. They saw a guy that was more noble than them. Peter even said it. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not even claiming to be like this guy. This guy's better than me. And he's in trouble, and he can't walk away. What does that mean for us? Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go to the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because that rich person, and by the way, some of you got somebody in mind. You're like, yeah, I know that rich guy, that rich woman. I bet it would be really hard for them. Has it occurred to you yet that you are that? Has it occurred? I know there are people that look at me and they think I'm rich. If they read this passage, they'd be thinking of me. They might be thinking of you. How hard it is for someone with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because this wealth offers me a sense of well-being, a sense of security, a sense that I can say yes to me and be satisfied. Right, And so for me to let go of that is really, really hard because it's right in front of me. But see, here's the truth. 
Letting go of that takes faith. But the truth is, wealth will not give you life. Wealth will not give you peace in your heart between you and God. When you have guilt and shame, wealth it will do nothing to take that away. Jesus can bear your shame. He can take your guilt. He can take away the stain of your soul. That's why Jesus is better. Wealth can't do that. For a moment, wealth can make you have a sense that you're secure, can make you have a sense of well-being, but that will not last. It's like cotton candy in your soul. It tastes good for just a few seconds, and then it's gone. You keep eating it, it'll make you sick. You were made by Jesus and for Jesus. We've used this Colossians chapter 1 as a confession. I love this passage in Colossians 1. I want you to hear this because it's so good. Colossians chapter 1, it says, He is the, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Now hear this. By Him, Jesus, all things were created, me and you. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. The, the soaring nature of that pet passage will take you on a ride if you let it. If you just meditate and say, God, give me a sense of the truth of who you are, that will be like a it will sweep you up out of your misery, out of your self-focus and self-study. It will sweep you up out of fear. It will sweep you up out of loneliness and discouragement. It will lift you high into His presence, and it will be like bread of life and living water to your soul. Money can't do that. Money can buy you better vacations and better quality wine and sushi, but it can't do that. It can't do that. And to have Jesus in the poorest of circumstances would be a luxury beyond anything we can imagine. To not have Jesus in the highest of luxury in New York penthouse suites, whatever they are, you could be so lonely and so empty. So why is it so hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God, to enter into life? You've got to turn and repent. See, he's calling the young, because he loves him, he's calling him to repent of the God that he has placed on the throne of his life. He's calling him to stop sinning and push away from that and turn to him. It says that Jesus loved him. The most loving thing he could do is tell him to repent. Can I ask you this? Think with me for a moment, and this may take a little help, a little work. What makes you confident? What makes you exhale deeply 
man, that finally happened, and because that happened, I'm good. There are a hundred things competing for the throne of your life, and only Jesus belongs on it. Now, some of you are wanting to know the question, is it everybody who has to repent of that? Everybody that has to take a vow of poverty to follow Jesus? No. It's not about the wealth. It's about the position of the wealth in this young man's life. He's built everything on it. It may be for you that you've done the exact same thing and need to repent of the exact same sin, but it is certainly not that everybody who is rich is going to hell. There are great, wonderful, noble Christian people who have now figured out how to let money not be a lord of their life, but a servant in their life, and they are using that stewardship as a great uh, servant of God, and it's wonderful. There are others who have very little, and money has still become the lord of their life. Money makes a lousy, uh, it makes a great servant and a lousy lord. And Jesus is pointing that out. Well, the disciples are watching this, and they feel anxious. And Peter speaks up and says, well, after they asked the question, well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Peter, speaking up when everybody else is thinking it, says, see, but we've left everything. Followed you. We left fishing boats. We left family and homes, and we left all of it. What about us? We did the opposite of what this guy has done. And Jesus says in verse 29 Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters, mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Let me stop for a moment and let you just soak in this. Jesus says that it's not possible that you're going to save yourself by your own righteousness. That's impossible. Theoretically, if you could be perfect, you wouldn't need a Savior because you can't be perfect, you need a Savior. Just like this man needed a Savior, you need a Savior. And Jesus says, if you turn to me, all things become possible. I can save you. I can bring you into life. And Peter speaks up and says, but we've already left so much. And he says, and you have gained me life and a hundred things in this lifetime. You already have new siblings in the Lord. You already have brothers and sisters who call you family. Their home in Christendom is your home. You have the freedom to ask for their home, to ask them into your home. That's what Jesus is speaking about, and it will come with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. You know, the beautiful thing about this is that as some of you sit there feeling anxious, feeling uncertain about whether or not God is willing to accept you, whether or not you are okay with God, I want you to know that what you see down here is a bread and cup, but let's just hold for a minute. 
You know who the ultimate rich young ruler is in this story? It's Jesus. It's him. Philippians chapter 2 spells it out for us. Philippians chapter 2 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now listen closely. Who, although he was in the form of God, this speaks of him pre-incarnate in heaven as ruler of heaven with the luxury of heaven, with the joy of heaven for all eternity. He was in the form of God, but did not account, count equality with God, something that he should grasp like the rich young man who couldn't let go of his stuff. He had to grasp it. He had to hold it tight. It was his. He couldn't let go, but Jesus understood that better than he could ever imagine because he let go of it. He did not grasp it, but he, counted, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When it says that Jesus loved this man, it's because he understood everything going on inside of him. Jesus was in heaven with all of that luxury, yet he let go of it in obedience to the Father. And because of this, Jesus was exalted. He was raised again on the third day, is raised up as our... Uh, death-conquering, sin-destroying Savior. Friends, if you're scared, if you're worried, look to the table. Find the bread that is the symbol of His broken body. For us, He was broken for us. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. We don't talk enough about this word justification, but I just want you to hear it. This justification word. You ever said these words? Now I feel justified because you've been proven right, right? Somebody else acted a fool and you'd been saying that all along and now I feel justified. You're using biblical language to say I'm right. Okay, well guess what justification is? The day that Jesus died on that cross, he was publicly shamed. He was publicly uh, put to the cross, bearing our sin, and he forgives us completely. Past, present, future, we exist forgiven in the Lord. Your filthy thoughts, your selfish deeds, the things you're most embarrassed about, the thing you're most angry about, that, that yourself about, God has forgiven you completely because of what Jesus has done for you. Amen. Jesus is better. But it's even better than that. <laughs> he has declared us righteous. It's a legal term. It's like the gavel came down, and it wasn't just forgiven. It is you are declared righteous in front of God. So hard to reach up for that, isn't it? Declared righteous? I mean, forgiven? Awesome? Righteous? Are you kidding me? Jesus is better. So much better. And you're invited into that. Right here today, right now, you're invited into that. You're invited into the riches of heaven and life. You're invited into it right here. 
come to him and say to him again, I need a Savior. I need satisfaction. I need forgiveness. Oh God, give me Jesus. Let me eat again the bread of life and drink again the living water. Let me have Jesus. Otherwise, I will chase the, 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 the scraps of this world. Let's pray.